Hey, welcome to the podcast, Light in the Midst of Darkness. I am your host, Eric Martinez, and man, today we have a special episode where I I actually want to use this entire episode um, to talk about the Protestant Reformation, uh, explain what it was about uh, and the benefits um, that it has given to Christianity. So uh, definitely hope that this can be a blessing for your life. I mean, just I, I just can't emphasize enough how important it is for us as Christians to actually know not just, okay, that the Reformation happened, why it happened, how it occurred, what happened during the Reformation, and what we've uh, been able to, to, to get out of it, um, how it's benefited um, believers. So that's definitely what I want to do, um, and, and I'm going to dedicate this entire episode. Uh, I'm going to try to not extend over an hour. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try my best to make sure we get this within an hour. If not, if I have to divide it up and spread it out, I mean, I definitely can. So, all right, let's let's go ahead and get started. Um, Philip Schaff, uh, a, a noted church historian, wrote the following. The Reformation of the 16th century, next to the introduction of Christianity itself, is the greatest event in history. It marks the end of the Middle Ages and the beginning of modern times, starting from religion. It gave directly or indirectly a a mighty impulse to every forward movement and made Protestantism the chief propelling force in the history of modern civilization. So the Reformation was at its heart a, a recovery of the true gospel of Jesus Christ And this restoration had an unparalleled influence on churches, nations, and the flow of Western civilization. This was not a single person-led movement. This is not about one single person, but a powerful movement that was led by men um, like John Huss, John Wycliffe, They were the ones responsible for creating the sparks, the pre-Reformation, before a German monk named Martin Luther initiated a protest that erupted in a worldwide movement. Now, we have to keep in mind that at this time, the church was in a dark time, was, was going through a dark age, and... Europe was living in the shadow of the Roman Catholic Church. Honestly, it wasn't so much being run as a church. It was more like an empire. It had the dominion to to place and and remove kings as as it pleased. Uh, You know, if if a king were to do something contrary to the church, he was removed. He was replaced. And so the, the church used its power to keep people in, in in dark superstition they didn't want the masses to know the truths that, that the bible itself contained they only allowed the clergy the the priests though there was only a certain group of people who who were allowed to actually um have a bible and and, and even if they had it the, a lot of them wouldn't even really read it 
uh, following church tradition was was a norm. It, it, it didn't care about what the biblical teachings were. It, it, the church tradition was 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 on t- was over or supreme um, when it came to putting what church tradition taught, comparing it to the Bible. Church tradition was what was elected. Unfortunately, that that sounds very familiar to to what is happening even in our day today. Just like just like today, everyone, uh, you know, in that time had their own perspective about the Bible, even even though almost no one had actually read it. And, and, and that happens today. You know, you, you see all these people who oppose the Bible, who who, who criticize the Bible. You, you ask them, hey, well, well, what of the Bible that you've read that you're not like? I, I don't know. I haven't read it. What? And, and, and that's happening today. The critics, the experts. You know, all, all the all these people behind these different movements, behind these different groups, you know, they, they attack the Bible. It's intolerant. It's evil. It's hate. And, and that's what eventually is going to happen. The Bible is going to be considered hate speech soon here in America, of all places. We, we, we never would have thought, you know, so the same thing that ha- that was happening then is it, very familiar to our day today. You know, j- just like so many people today that, that are putting their trust in, in, in these intellectual leaders and very influential persons of, of, of this time that tell them what is in the Bible and, and whether or not to believe it. So Luther was one of the first or actually one of the few persons actually reading the Bible. And what, what he found through scripture was was eye-opening i mean it 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 transformed his worldview even though he was a monk luther hated the god of the bible and you're probably going to ask but man how, how is that possible why would he hate the god of the bible he he felt that god was unjust because luther was 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 um known to be constantly confessing his sins and not even a few minutes after he'd step out of the confession booth, he was running back in and, and, and rem- remembering another sin he had committed. This was this was driving him crazy. But he was having trouble and viewing God in, 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 in the light of how Scripture describes him because, you know, he, he just... It, it didn't make sense. He, 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 he believed that he was able on his own to win God's favor with his merits. But as he began studying the word of God more, as he began meditating in scripture and, 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 and dedicating time to the word of God, everything he once doubted began to make sense. God made sense. The significance of, of, of Jesus' redeeming work on the cross became so clear to him. He, he discovered the answer to his deepest question. He, th- this is the question that would, would just, man, cause him to have restless nights, sleepless nights. How can we overcome evil? How can we overcome sin? And more specifically, how could his own sin be dealt with? Luther soon discovered that he couldn't do anything in his own power to fix this problem on his own. He had to rely on the finished work of Christ alone. 
the reading and studying of the, of the Bible, he discovered the central truth of the gospel. It, it, it changed his life and not just his life. This changed the world forever. The Protestant Reformation was about two main issues. It was about who can say what's true, and it was about how to reconcile who we are with who God is. It was able to recognize that the God's word is the ultimate authority in this world and that Jesus Christ's perfect life and sacrificial death are the only answer for sin and the only basis on which Sinners can stand before a holy and righteous God. The Protestant Reformation is a story of transformation. The transformation from hate to love, from bondage to freedom, from blind faith to a glorious discovery of the truth in Jesus Christ. You see, the the Protestant Reformation was a great theological revolt in Europe against the abuses and totalitarian control of the Roman Catholic Church. Reformers like Martin Luther in Germany, Ulrich Zwingli in Switzerland, John Calvin in France protested against the unbiblical practices of the Catholic Church and admonished the church to return to sound biblical doctrines. And and, and the way they were able to understand that the, the Catholic Church was following and going by unbiblical practices was because of the reading and studying of the Word of God. The event that that led to the start of the Protestant Reformation is considered to be the day of October 31st of 1517 when Luther posted his 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg Church. And and, and one of the amazing things that I find is the moment he did this, he was still not a believer. He was in the process of, of going through and having issues with what was the, the Catholic Church was teaching, what the Bible was teaching. And so in this moment, he is yet to be a born-again believer, but God is has already began to work in his heart. And so he wrote these 95 theses, these 95 protests against what the Catholic Church was doing. That, that was contrary to scripture. Just a little bit of background to the history of Protestantism and, and the Reformation allows us to know how important it is to understand that one of the main things, that one of the main claims that the, the Catholic Church held to was the apostolic secession. The claim of apostolic secession. This doctrine what it taught was that the line of Roman Catholic popes extended through the centuries all the way from the very first pope, which they considered to be the Apostle Peter, till today's current pope. 
So this never-ending chain of authority makes the Roman Catholic Church the only, according to this claim, this makes the Roman Catholic Church the only true church and gives the Pope preeminence over all churches everywhere. He has the final say. Because they believed in apostolic secession in the infallibility of the pope uh, the pope can't be wrong no matter what he says so what, what what catholicism does is it places church teaching and tradition on a level equal to scripture itself so as christians we understand that scripture is above church teaching above church tradition so if what the Bible teaches goes against what the church is teaching or what the tradition of the church is, the Bible rules supreme. This is one of the major differences between the Roman Catholics and the Protestants. It it was one of the foundational issues that actually led to the Protestant Reformation. So even before the Reformation, there there, there was some resistance to some of the unbiblical practices. So this isn't new. This wasn't just, oh, Luther, uh, you know, happened to awaken a giant and and, and boom, boom, this all started. No, this, this had happened hundreds of years before the Reformation. Small little revolts, people... Um, who 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 were who would stand against the unbiblical practices of the Roman Catholic Church, but the problem was at the moment, at the time, it was just relatively small. It was isolated, so just as it started, it, it, it seemed like it finished. But in all honesty, it, it, it was the sparks getting ready to catch the flame that would be um, that, that would that would occur in the time of Luther. Before even Luther picked up the hammer to nail the the thesis to the to the door on the door of the church in Wittenberg, there were men who had stood up for reform and the true gospel of the church. Among these men, we're talking about John Wycliffe, an English theologian and Oxford professor who was condemned as a heretic in fourteen fifteen. He was put to death. John Huss, also known as Jan Huss, a priest from Bohemia who who was burned at the stake in 1415 for his opposition to the Church of Rome, Girolamo Savonarola, an Italian friar who was hanged and burned in in 1498. And these three three people that are mentioned... They stood up. They stood against. They stood up against the the Roman Catholic Church. And what did the church do? Even though these men were presenting scriptural teachings, showing the the, the contradictions between the church and the traditions, comparing it to the Bible, but the church decided to go after these people, to hush these people, to silence. They saw these men as dangerous, so therefore they condemned them as heretics and executed them. The opposition to the false teaching of the Roman Catholic Church came to a climax in the 16th century when Luther, a Roman Catholic monk himself, challenged the authority of the Pope. And in particular, he was very, very um, 
uh, indignant in regards to the selling of indulgences. This right here definitely did not sit well with Luther. This the selling of indulgences was a way for the church to be enriched by taking advantage of the masses that were not very educated and, and, and lying to them, telling them that this was a way to get their loved ones out of hell or to purgatory, which is an unbiblical teaching. It's not found in the Bible. But what would happen with these indulgences? Well, by purchasing an indulgence... An individual could reduce the length and severity of punishment that heaven would require as a payment for their sins. Or so the Catholic Church claims. So let's just say you have a loved one. He died and and, and say he, he was, you know, a wife beater. Say, you know, he did bad things. Well, they say, hey, you know what? All you got to do buy a few of these indulgences it'll reduce his length it'll reduce his severity uh it will allow him from passing from from suffering into purgatory uh, or in hell to allowing him to be allowed into heaven so if you bought an indulgent for a loved one then they would go to heaven and not burn in hell or if you happen to buy an indulgence for yourself you did not need to worry about the affair you were having that that covered it according to what they were teaching the masses. And so rather than heed the call to reform, rather to hear rather than heeding the, the this this admonition from John Wycliffe, from John Huss, you know, the Roman Catholic, what it the Roman Catholic Church dug in its heels and sought to silence the reformers. So what do we have here? At the heart of the Protestant Reformation, we, we find four basic questions. How is a person saved? Where does religious authority lie? Is the Pope the religious authority? Or is the Bible the religion? Or is the church? Where does it lie? What is the church? Does it mean that I have to be doing a certain thing or I just have to at least have membership. What is the church? And finally, what is the essence of Christian living? How then should we live our lives for the glory of God? In answering these questions, Protestant reformers develop what would be known as the five solas. The word sola in the Latin, is the Latin word for alone. These five essential points of biblical doctrine make a clear separation of Protestantism from Roman, Roman Catholicism. The reformers resisted the demands that were given to them. Hey, you, you, you better retract. You, 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 better, you better stop. You better recant. Take back what you're teaching. They were ordered to recant these doctrines even to the point of death by hanging or burning at the stake. And these courageous men did not get intimidated by the fire. They didn't care. They, they, didn't, they didn't worry about their lives. They knew that they had given their lives 
to God, to Christ and they were willing to lay down their lives as Christ laid down his life for his church for those who would believe and, and, and they the reformers did not get intimidated they did not recant at times they were fleeing different cities trying to continue the work trying to you know uh, whether it was translating the bible in, in the language of the masses whether it was you know teaching uh, biblical truths in in different cities eventually these men would have to face death the five essential doctrines of the Protestant Reformation are the following. First one that we have is sola scriptura, which basically means scripture alone. The Bible alone is the sole authority for all matters of faith and practice. Scripture and scripture alone is the standard by which all teachings and traditions of the church must be measured. So the Bible is our supreme authorities for all matters of faith and practice. Not, oh, my pastor says, no, no, no. What does the Bible say? Well, my church does this, but what does the Bible say? The Bible, scripture alone is the standard by which all of our teachings, all of our traditions must be measured. So as Martin Martin Luther so wonderfully stated when he was told to recant his teachings, this is what he said. Unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and the councils, for they have con contradicted each other on many occasions. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I hold, this is what he said, I'm holding my conscience is holding to what God says in his word. And so therefore, he said the following, I cannot and I will not recant anything for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. So help me God. Amen. Wow. I mean, this is an illustration of how convinced we must be in regards to the authority of scripture scripture alone it doesn't matter if a so-called apostle and prophet and anointed so what teacher comes and teaches anything contrary to scripture we don't we don't follow any teachings we don't go with any traditions that go against the word of God that are contradict contradict God's word and and as Luther mentioned we must be convinced by scripture we must be willing to hold our conscience captive to the word of God and so God be our help sola number 2 sola gratia salvation by grace alone Salvation is proof of God's, of God's undeserved favor. We are rescued from God's wrath by his grace alone, not by any work or deed that we do. And, and this is important to understand. This is the basis of the gospel in God's word that we are saved by grace and grace alone, not grace plus works. Because the Catholic Church teaches, yes, we are saved by grace 
plus works. You must do good deeds to earn God's favor when God has already given us his undeserved favor. We weren't deserving of his favor, but that's what grace is. God's undeserving favor. We were rescued from God's wrath by grace alone, not by any work. As Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 specifically tell us. Saved by grace alone through our faith placed in Jesus Christ and not by works, not by deeds, so that no man can boast. God's blessings in Christ is the sole efficient cause of salvation. We are saved not because of what we do. We are saved because of what Christ came to do. And while he lived a perfect life, while he was without sin, he carried the sin of those of us who were going to believe. And he died on that cross, on that cross to save sinners. This grace is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit who brings us to Christ by releasing us from our bondage to sin and raising us up from spiritual death to spiritual life. Because before we came to Christ, we were spiritually dead. People could come witness to us, invite us to church, but unless God through his Holy Spirit would bring us to Christ, releasing us from our bondage to sin and raising us from spiritual death to spiritual life we would still be lost in our sins so we, we have to understand that it's only that salvation is only by grace alone any any other religion any religion other than Christianity if you look at the religions whether it be Islam whether it be Buddhism whether it be uh, whatever it can whatever name you can come up with they teach a salvation by works you could be saved but you must do good works you must do good deeds you must have a positive energy you must have you know this and that do this do that but Christianity is the only religion that says look you're only saved by great by God's grace alone and that's it and if you're truly saved the evidence of that salvation will be the works that you do, your good deeds that you do, don't win you your salvation. They evident, they make it evident that you have been saved. It, it testifies of your being born again. Third sola, number three, sola fide, salvation by faith alone. We are justified by faith in Christ alone, not by the works of the law. It is by faith in Christ that his righteousness is imputed to us, is transferred to us as the only possible satisfaction of God's perfect standard. That's why one of the one of the phrases that really rocked the life of Martin Luther, because like I had mentioned earlier, he was constantly going to confession, constantly remembering a sin five minutes later, running back to confession. And they had told him, look, you need to go to Romans and you need to read what God says there in Romans 1, 17, that the that the that the right that the. Um, that the righteous will live by faith alone. By faith alone in Jesus Christ. And, 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 and that phrase is what initiated in him a, 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 a 
deep hunger for scripture, for knowing the truth of God. It would eventually, by God's grace, break break him free from, from that burden he had to constantly be trying to seek and obtain God's favor by his merits when we know from what we, we just mentioned a few moments ago that we can't, God has already given us his undeserved favor. And it's not by merits, it's not by works, it's not by deeds. The moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ in that exact moment, there's a transaction that occurs where the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. It's it's transferred to us and God sees us and is satisfied with our with us in that sense because of what Christ did. So therefore we are reconciled with God. Sola number four, solus Christus, in Christ alone. Salvation is found in Christ alone. No, no one and nothing else can save. Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross is sufficient for our justification and reconciliation to God the Father. There is no other mediator. There is no other alternative. There is no other way. I, I know today is, is so popular so uh, to hear all roads lead to Rome. It doesn't matter whether you believe in, 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 in Muhammad. It doesn't matter uh, Allah if you believe in, in Hare Krishna, if you believe in Buddha. It doesn't matter. We're all, we're all headed the same way. We're all heading up the mountain. We're all going to reach the same path. That, that's, that's, a, that's a straight out lie. There are two roads in this world. Christianity is the road that is narrow. And all other religions is the road that is wide. And it's packed with people. And it's the road that leads to destruction. So we have to understand. Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross is sufficient and is enough for our justification and reconciliation to God the Father. The gospel has not been preached if Christ's redemption is not declared and if faith in his resurrection is not solicited. So if what you've heard is come, come, Come to Jesus so he can give you a house. Come to Jesus so he can do this, so he can solve this, so he can give you that, so he can heal you here. And they don't preach on Christ's redemption. How he bore the weight of sin. How he had God, God the Father poured out his wrath on him. And how he was the perfect sacrifice. The lamb who knew no sin. The, lamb, the, the blameless lamb of God. Who takes away the sin in the world, of the world. So if Christ's redemption is not declared, if faith in his resurrection, if we do not believe that he has resurrected, we are not believing in the gospel. Our faith is not placed in popes. Our faith is not placed in leaders nor political leaders. It's not placed in pastors. It's not placed in in organizations. Our faith must be in Christ alone. In the final Sola, sola, soli del gloria, for the glory of God alone. 
Salvation is of God and has been accomplished by God and for his glory alone. As Christians, we we, we must magnify him always and live our lives in his presence under his authority and for his, his glory. Salvation belongs to God. He has accomplished our salvation for his glory alone. He saves sinners so that he gets glory out of it. He saves bad people like you and me who have believed he saved us for his glory alone. And so we must live our lives under his authority, in his presence, and for his glory. We must die to ourselves. Like like Paul said in Galatians, I no longer live, but Christ liveth in me. Christ now lives in me. I don't live for myself. I don't do what I please. I I fight these inclinations of the flesh and, and I must put to death this 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 sin every single day. I fight. I war with sin every single day and fight this battle. And I need it, and I can only do it in God's grace. These five important doctrines are the reason for the Protestant Reformation. They're at the heart of the Reformers' call for the church to return to biblical teachings. The five solas are just as important today in evaluating a church and its teachings as they were in the 16th century. Welcome back. Um, we finished discussing what the Reformation was briefly. Gave like a like what I would consider a brief summary. I definitely encourage you look it up, investigate it for yourself. I mean, you will definitely reap the benefit of actually studying and looking into it as well, like what it was about and more. And I didn't really get into all the great details, just kind of the main points from it. So we talked about what the what the Protestant Reformation was, why it was important. Let's now talk about the benefits that came because of the Reformation, and then we'll end it with answering, do we need a Reformation today? So in social life, the, Re- the, the Reformation came to remove the barrier that separated um, the church from the secular. Uh, there was a barrier that didn't allow any in, 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 in regards to um, it viewed things, art, career stuff like they, those were viewed for some reason as as bad when in, in reality um, we understand those that, the things that are sacred, you know, the things that we we, we, we value from the Christian faith um, also um, challenge not challenges us. It it, it commands us to go to not to uh, allow culture to 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 uh, influence us, but more for us to engage the culture and, and, and bring the gospel to different aspects of life, career, job, family, homes, community, um, and, and not just shut it away, just the church. And once you're away from church. You know, um, then you can talk about everything else. And once you're back in church, no, it's 
It helped remove the barrier that separated the, the church from the secular. And what that did was bring forth a new appreciation for the ordinary things in life. To be appreciative, you know, for, for, for the simple things. Um, your everyday thing, you go out, get to, you know, experience um, the, the, the beauty of, of living in a community, of caring for one another, showing the love of Christ to those around us, whether they believe or not. And it also increased the value given to marriage and family. That, that was a very big and important um, benefit that, that came from the Reformation in regards to the social life. Now, if we take a glance and take a look at the, in the realm of politics, the Reformation brought with it an acknowledgement of essential human rights, God-given rights, imagio Dei. You know, we, we've been granted by God with dignity. He's given us honor, and we understand that we also have uh, to value the sanctity of life, you know. Um, so that's one of the things that... that came from in the realm of politics that came from the reformation was acknowledging of essential human rights and and it recognized the equality of all people when before just the nobles just those of eminence those who were educated the you know they were separate from the masses the, the you know the, the the regular people and in all honesty what came about that was a recognition of of equality amongst all people, regardless of their background, ethnicity, um, you know, what they did as a living. Um, and so I think that's definitely one of the things that we really don't, I guess, consider. But I mean, it's definitely one of the things that came or because that came about was brought from brought within uh, came with the Reformation. It also uh, helped create representative forms of government. That's definitely something that kind of came um, about because of the Reformation. Helped create that representation that, that the government shouldn't be just totalitarian. And, and No, it, it needs to be representative, re- represent you know, the, the people it speaks on behalf, on, on, on the people's half, on behalf of the people. In regards to the area of education, the the Reformation came to give an important emphasis to universal literacy. That that was definitely one of one of the big benefits it provided was emphasizing a universal literacy for everyone, uh, as many as possible to to have that capability to be able to be literate. when, when, when it came to the right that common people have to read the Bibles for themselves. Back back then, under, under the Catholic Church, the common people did not have that capability. They were, they were not allowed. It was frowned upon. It was not looked upon. It was not looked well upon for you to be a regular person with a Bible in your possession and, and telling others you're reading from it. That was definitely frowned upon by the church. Um, and so the Reformation prompted the, the right that common people have 
that the masses have to read the Bible for themselves. Because back then they would go to mass, they would go to church services, and and, and the sermon and, and what was done was presented in Latin. And, and the majority of people, if not all of them, didn't know Latin, you know. And so they 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 weren't being um, taught the Word of God in their language in, in, in a way that they were able to would be able to understand and so the reformation brought changes to that so that was definitely um a wonderful and beautiful thing that, that surged from the reformation in, in regards to the in the area of faith in the area of religion the reformation emphasized the need for the bible to be translated in the language of the people so that any person would be capable of reading it. So this ties in with what we had just finished mentioning. It, it, it put an emphasis on the need, on the importance for uh, of the Bibles to be translated in the language of the people. You know, so for example, if uh, you were in in a certain part of Europe, whether it be Germany, whether it be France, um, not only you know, to have the Bible in Latin, to have the Bible in Greek, uh, but to have it also in German, to have it in French, to have it, you know, in, in whatever, in English, whatever language uh, the people spoke. So that any person, and, and this is the important part, so that any person, not just the priest, not just the clergy, not just, you know, um, certain people, but any person, every person, would be capable of reading it. So this brought forth the creation of organizations that have been in charge of translating scripture in different languages. And the amazing thing about that, it's even it's even done in the di- different dialects of many many minority groups. You know, they they may not have your standard um, language, but but they have a a specific dialect. And and even today. Um, they're, they're still translating the Bible in, in different dialects uh, amongst these minority groups that when they receive these Bible, I, I saw a video, it was years, years ago, um, but these Bibles arrived in, in this certain region where, where they, they spoke a certain, a certain language or dialect. And man, the moment the helicopters were coming down and, and they were, they knew they were told that the Bibles were arriving and man, amongst the people amongst the community i mean there were people crying with joy there were people dancing with happiness i mean they were so moved and and so excited that for the first time ever you know they they had heard the bible being preached in their language because the 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 people who were you know visiting them and 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 being there uh, ministering to them would either have a translator who knew the language, uh, whether it was English, Spanish, whatever language they, the, the the missionaries were speaking, and they would translate all that. But this is what the, this was the first time they were going to have the Bible in their dialect or in their language. Man, they they were so so blessed, so happy. I mean, it, it was a powerful. Um, thing to see it was a wonderful thing that was being recorded that man it 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 just definitely moves you man it man it definitely um allows you to rejoice with them the bible tells us to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and man it's hard not to rejoice i mean you rejoice in the fact that they're 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 being uh they're rejoicing and being able to receive the bible in their language so that was definitely um a wonderful powerful uh, thing that I was able to witness through um, a video I saw through through YouTube. 
it also emphasized the need of congressional singing like it it one, one of the main things that, that came out of the reformation when it comes to singing was and singing was used as a form to help in, in in memorizing and help um emphasize biblical truths emphasize you know um biblical principles and, and most importantly the, the the worshiping and praising of of who god was not not so much what he gives but who god really is because as christians we don't worship god for what he gives us and and yes when we're blessed we're happy and rejoicing but even in moments of of, of sadness even in moments of tribulation we, we we can still rejoice and be grateful to god and and, and give thanks give thanks to god um at, at all times as the bible commands us in first thessalonians first thessalonians chapter five so that was uh, one thing that was emphasized the need of congressional singing so that, that believers could worship god um another another emphasis was the need for preaching or expositing uh, which was like a verse by verse exposition of scripture um, and, and, and holding that as being central in the Christian services. So it, it wasn't, man, who came to speak? And it wasn't, oh man, the songs they sang. Oh man, I, I liked uh, their, the, the way they do their, uh, you know, the, the pre, the, the lecture and their praying. Like the, 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 the preaching or the expositing from scripture was the central part uh, in, in a Christian service and, and it's and it needs to be that way it's not about who's coming to preach it's not about who sang who didn't sing what songs were saying what songs weren't saying it, it's about the preaching and the proclamation the faithful proclamation from scriptures um, weekly uh, every 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 church service that's the main focus it, it's not supposed to be on the music it's not supposed to be on the church leaders it's not supposed to be on the denomination it's not supposed to be on anything but most importantly placed on the preaching preaching needs to be at at, at, at the at the center of what's done in in a christian service especially the the preaching not just from any literature any book from from scripture itself from the bible and finally, the, the one other thing that it emphasized in, in the religious aspect was the need for every believer to be involved in minist- in the ministry of church in one way or another. Like, I know there are people who have who are called for missions to be in, in you know to be a missionary. Those who feel called and compelled to be on the evangelistic team or the you know evangelism or an evangelist, um, those with the calling, you know, for 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 those who teach in the church, those who preach in the church, those who play an instrument, those who are in the choir, you know, those who are deacons, those who are ushers, you know, wh- whatever it may be, um, you know, the youth, the kids, the Sunday school, like in any you get involved. And that was an emphasis. Be involved. Every believer, there was no room for, I'm just going to be, you know, a bench warmer. I'm just going to sit here in the bench. Y'all do the work. Y'all serve. I'll just here sit back. No, no, no. Everyone needs to be involved, you know? And, and if we don't know what our gifts are, if we don't know what our calling is, I mean, it, it's important, most importantly, to ask God in prayer, to seek God's wisdom, to, you know, go to the Bible and also speak with your pastor, you know, and, I'm sure that, you know, God will give him um, guidance and wisdom as well to help direct and help see, you know, an area specifically. He may ask you, hey, I need you to help share the Bible study on Wednesday. I need you to, you know, help 
with the kids or you know the the the, the sister or the brother who teaches is, is out today i need you i need you to take take their place for next week um you know and, and through there you can see if there's a you know a gift of teaching you know a gift of service you know a calling for a particular um you know uh, ministry you know whether it be um for maybe a future pastor down the road a missionary down the road evangelist whatever it may be so that was very important and I think it's definitely important um, today in our day. So um, those those are just I mean these ain't all of the benefits. These are just kind of like I just went over some some main points. Um, some there, there's definitely many 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 more benefits that, that have come from the Reformation. Um, but I, I want you to definitely take the time, uh, look into it, study it, um, read about it, and man, it it will definitely be very beneficial. Um, for, for, for you as a Christian to understand part is part of our history. I think it's important to know, definitely important to know. So the question I want to end with right now is, do we need a reformation in our day? Well, sadly, the, the answer is yes, we definitely do. You know, we're living in a time that in the, in the words of Paul rings so true today regarding that coming time when people will not want to hear sound doctrine, sound teaching, but will turn their ears to false teachings that sound nice, that make them feel comfortable. Look what 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 says. This is what, what I was mentioning about Paul. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They, they, they won't, they will not want to hear biblical teaching biblical preaching instead they will follow their own desires and will look for teachers they they they, they if they're if they're under a pastor who preaches the word of god that you know and if they don't like the truths if they don't like the exposition uh expository preaching uh, they hear sunday by after sunday they'll they'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear and and, and man that that is definitely something going on in our day and, and this is the reason we need a reformation today. I know that God is lifting up people amongst his church, those who, who are going to heed this call, you know, and, and, and we're not going to be, you know, the, the next Martin Luther. We're not going to be the next, you know, uh, John Huss or the next Calvin. But, but I can assure you, God is going to lift up faithful people, you know, who, who truly are a passion uh, have passion for the Lord, who, who love the gospel, and, and most importantly, who will be willing to pray the, pay the price when that time comes. You know, when I, when I consider, you know, what I know about the Bible, man, I, I realize I still need to know much more. Like, I, I don't ever want to get to a point where, you know, I think I've reached the, 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 the maximum level. I, I no longer need to, you know, study anymore. I don't need to read. No, that's that's something I can't give up. I must do it over and over again, daily, daily, daily. Even if I read the Bible in a year or in two years, it's not, oh, check mark. I did that. Now I can go to something else. No, I must continually be in the word of God, reading over and over again. You know, mark my Bible, put notes in my Bible or have a word document open while I'm reading and taking notes and writing down, jotting down verses, jotting down, you know, certain things, questions I, I may have from what I read and, you know, definitely something like that. So it's so, so important. And I understand that to, to, to really love the Lord and to honestly 
nowadays be a, a, a Christian with, with biblical convictions who does not, you know, get intimidated by all these things happening around us, changing and changing around us with society, you know, because as a Christian who is living, you know, in, in the midst of, of, of so much apostasy, turn, uh, turning away, you know, from, from, from the faith, because you're, you're running into people who grew up in the church, you're running into people who pastor the church, you're going into people who, who sang, you know, in, in a music band and that said they were Christian. And, and then you hear in the news, oh, so-and-so band member is no longer a Christian. He says he, he's lost his faith. Oh, so-and-so pastor says he's no longer a Christian. He doesn't believe in God anymore. Um, you know, and, and, and with so much evil happening around us, I think it's so important we need that we know what God expects of us as Christians, not Christian just in the name of the just just in the title name. No, no, no. We need to be Christians in 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 the way not only that we talk but also in the way that we walk. In, in today's Christless culture, with so many Christless churches, believers must make Christ's burden for a lost and dying world their own. Like. Our hearts need to be burdened knowing there are people around us, you know, in our family, in our neighborhoods, in our communities who don't believe in Christ, who, who, who don't have faith in Jesus, you know, and, and, and this world is full of people who, who are lost, who are dying, who, who have no hope like we once before we were in Christ. We were without hope. We were without Christ. And, and by God's mercy and grace, we, we, we've, we've received God's grace and, and, and His salvation that He has brought to us. Revival and Reformation will, will not happen just because we wish for it to happen or hope for it to happen or even pray for it to happen. And, and trust me, it's great to pray for it, but, but it's not enough. It's, it's good to hope for it, but that's not enough. We need to desire it and be willing to give up our own lives as living sacrifices, which is a reasonable service. I'm not asking you to quit your job, to quit your career, to you know let go and stop doing certain things. What I'm, what I'm asking, and I think what God is asking us is the question, do you truly desire to be, a, to be my disciple? Do you, are you really willing to die to yourself, to, to die to your ego, and to carry your cross and follow after me, offer your life, offer yourself as a as a living sacrifice, which which is our reasonable service that we give to God. Romans chapter twelve, verse one. First of all, we we must dare to become reformed ourselves. You know, the, the Bible instructs us to speak the love and to speak the truth in love. And, and I think that's a very important thing because we, we can go overboard. We can go to the extreme and, and, and preach truth, but without love. But you know what truth without love is? That's cruelty. If you speak the truth of God, but you do it without love. So, so we have to be careful with that. Ephesians 4.15, it tells us to speak the truth. But not just the truth and do it in anger and do it with harshness and do it in a mean attitude or in a self-righteous attitude. No, it, it asks us to speak the truth, but to do it in love. Being a reformer is not a negative act. It is by far the most loving thing anyone can do in the kingdom of God. It takes courage. 
it requires God's grace because I mean, I could preach and speak truth and, and, and be all uh, uh, on fire for the Lord. But if I do that and just base it on my own strength, I, I'm going to grow weak. I'm going to grow weary. And that's just going to be for a few weeks, a few days, maybe months, but then it'll die down. But if I, if I do it, you know, in, 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 in God's help, knowing that I need the spirit of the Lord in my life for him to empower me, for him to direct me, to convict me when I'm in sin too, because a lot of times we make the mistake of, of blaming others. Everyone else is a sinner, you know, but what about us? We sin as well, you know, and, and we need to be rep- repenting daily. And living, living for God as best we can every single day without taking a break, without, you know, saying, ah, you know, I've done enough so many years. I can just chill, chill, relax. No, no, daily. Just give our lives to the Lord daily. Look for, look for God. Seek God. Turn to God and ask others and beg for others. Plead with those around us to turn to Christ. We need to go to our knees, repent of our sins and, and, and repent for the sins of our nation. I mean, look at America. You know, it, all that's going on, you know, all, all this lawlessness, all this rioting, all this hate, all, 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 all these lies, you know, all, all this divis, divisiveness, you know, what, what America needs, most, most importantly, it, it's not a, a politician. A politician cannot solve this. You know, it, nothing that, that is of this world can bring the solution. We, we must turn to God. We, we must turn away from our wicked ways. I mean, when we're allowing abortion, the murder of poor, innocent babies, you know, we, we've lost our, our sensitivity. You know, we, 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 have, we have strayed so far from the truths of God. And God is clear in the Bible where it says, thou shalt not murder. You should not take the life of an innocent human being. And, and, and those babies in the wombs are human beings. They're not pieces of tissue just tissue that all of a sudden on the on the, the moment of birth all of a sudden become human or days later or weeks months later after, as they're developing all this and that no from the moment of conception that is human life you know it's sad how an eagle egg is more defended than a baby in the mother's womb that's sad we must repent. We must repent of our own sins because we live in rebellion day by day. We we commit and do things that aren't pleasing to God just to just to fit in with the crowd, just so that, you know, to giving in to the pressure and, and, and wanting to, to, you know, fit in, you know. But, hey, there's times where we must, you know, we must stand out and be willing to stand firm on, on, on our convictions and most importantly, pray for the sins of our nation. Lord, have have mercy on America. Forgive us, Lord, because we have sinned against you. Have mercy. And most importantly, turn away from our wicked ways. It's time. And believe me, brother and sister, it's time to get serious with God by calling sin for what it is. It's sin. You know, someone who has a problem with stealing, it doesn't have a sickness. It, you know, because what that does when, when, when psychologists have gone that route, uh, oh, you know, it's, it's a disease, it's a sickness. No, it's sin. It's evil. It's sin within us. 
And so we must repent of that sin and, and turn to God and ask for forgiveness. We, we need to cry out to God for a fresh anointing of his Holy Spirit and power. Remember what he says in his word in Jeremiah chapter 29. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and hope. Then you will call upon me. Look, this is the important part because we want the blessings. You know, we want God to bless us. We want God to, to answer our prayers. But this is what he calls and he, this is what he asks of us. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Because sometimes we come to God and, and we're not even searching with all of our heart. We're just seeking him for an interest. Oh, I just want this healing. And then I turn and go my separate way and leave you hanging. I'll, I just need this job opportunity, Lord. And then when I get it, I'll, I'll just forget about you and, and go my separate way. No, he says, you need to seek me and you will find me. But only when you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 11 to 14. We must desire revival in our personal lives because that's that's where it needs to start. You can't ask your church to, 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 to be in revival if your personal life is not going in that direction. We, desi- we must desire it in our personal lives and seek the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit to, to blowing across our lives. We, we should be fervently praying constantly without ceasing that's what the word of god commands us pray without ceasing and and what that means is being constant prayer you know from when you wake up in prayer you know on your way to work praying man you get back from from work you pray and thank god you're going to lay down before you go to bed pray Considering these words of of Andrew Murray, there's often great confusion as to the will of God. People think that what God wills must inevitably take place. That is not the case. God wills a great deal of blessing to his people, which never comes to them. He wills it most earnestly, but they will not will it. Hence, it cannot come to them. This is from his book, From With Christ in the School of Prayer. We, we must ask God for grace and strength to stand for truth whenever truth is being attacked. God's truth matters. Every believer should be engaged in spiritual warfare. There's no victor's crown without first having a battle. Christians who, who attend churches that are preaching or tolerate false doctrines should obey Paul's directive. Come out from among them. If, 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 if you're if in your church or you're under a pastor who's preaching the prosperity gospel, the name it, decree it, the, the positive, conf, uh, the um, positive confession, you know, and, and preaching anything that's not biblical. Come to God and you'll never be sick. That's a lie. We as Christians get sick. Come to Christ and you will never have problems. That's a lie. The Lord tells us that he was hated. Therefore, we trusting and believing in him, we're going to be hated. This is, this is what we find in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 18. Come out from among them. Come out. Furthermore, 
as Christians, we should stop financially supporting churches and organizations that are not upholding the principles and truths that are set forth in God's word. Look, as pre- there's preachers and pastors who love God and they're not perfect. I'm not going to tell you that they're perfect. No, but you know what they do daily? That They're growing in Christ. They're seeking God's face. They're asking God for guidance, you know, and they go, they're, they're going to make mistakes and they're going to mess up in the sermons occasionally. And But you know what? That's That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those who are denying the fact that Christ resurrected, those who are denying the fact that Christ came in the flesh. There's liberal theology abounding where, where they're, 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 start, they're starting to doubt the resurrection of Christ. Look, the Bible is clear. If you have believed in the one that God resurrected and raised from the dead, you shall be saved. That's an essential doctrine. That's an essential truth that we cannot negotiate. We cannot compromise. We need to help people to understand the essence of the gospel. I think it's important that we each must understand and be able to answer in a clear manner what the gospel is. Christ brings us not only into a living relationship with God, he also brings us into a living relationship with one another. You cannot say you're a Christian and say you love God and hate your brother and hate somebody because of the color of their skin or hate somebody because you don't like their personality. No, look, we are called to be in a living relationship with God, have a healthy relationship with God that's going to reflect on the relationship we have with people, whether they believe or not, whether they're our brethren in a church you know, in a congregation that we go to or from another church, from a different denomination, but they hold true to the foundations of the gospel. We must have a living relationship with one another. People will know that we love the Lord by the way that we have love for one another. As we have been forgiven, so we must forgive others. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We must have that way of thinking. We are living in dire times, dangerous times, times of apostasy. Where there's going to be a turning away from the biblical truth, churches, ministers, pastors, seminaries, Christian universities, turning away from the essential and fundamental truths because of the pressure that society puts upon them and says, hey, you must believe what we believe. You must recant your beliefs that are intolerant. But you know what? We must hold to the truths of God. It doesn't matter what the cost may be. We need a reformation. We need a turning back to God, a repenting from our sins, repenting on behalf of our nation, and a turning away from our wicked ways. If we seek God with all of our heart, we will find Him. And He will bring a revival in our personal life. And from that, it will ignite the fire of revival that's not just going to last a weekend in the churches where you see the slogan, hey, we got revival this week. It's just three, four days long and that's it. No, a revival is not meant to be days long. It's meant that one, It's meant to be when it starts, it continues. We need reformation in our churches here in America 
definitely here in America because we're living a light gospel. We need to turn back to the scriptures. We need to begin putting our trust in God and in his word that is the most secure prophetic word that you and I have. So let's, like Paul, say the same. For me, for to me to live is Christ. My goal is to live for Christ. And if I die doing it, that's a gain. We must be willing to be let to lay our lives down if it comes to that. As Christ laid his life down for his beloved church, we must be willing and gladly to lay our lives down for the for the Lord. I pray that this talk on, on the Reformation, why it was important, the benefits of it, and if we need a Reformation in today's day, I pray this spark, that fire in your heart that we need as Christians, regardless of what nation we're in, here in America, in Europe, South America, Central America, Asia, wherever, wherever you may be, whatever state in the United States, let's pray and ask God that he revive us and he reform once again his church. And for the next episode, what, what, what I want to do is I want to go ahead and, and address the, the importance um, that as Christians, the importance of knowing what the gospel truly is. We'll, we'll talk about what it's not. We'll talk about what it is and basing that on the word of God. So tune in for next week. That's what we'll be addressing. We'll pick up back on the day in history and the Bible trivia um, that we'll be doing for uh, next week. I didn't have a question for today, but in regards to the question that that, that I laid down, um, I, I want us to to understand, you know, the the I had asked the question about what was the name of the prophet that was cast into the lion's den because there was an edict in place that prohibited him from praying to God and he did it anyways. The the name of that prophet was Daniel. So that, that's the answer from last week's. I don't have a trivia for this week, but next week, God willing, we'll we'll pick up from that and continue with that. So I, I, I just want to take the time and thank you uh, for your patience. I want to thank you for being here on this podcast. And, and I definitely pray and desire that this be a, a blessing in your life and it can be insightful. Uh, but most importantly, uh, my goal is that the light of God can shine in our lives and so that we can grow continually in our faith. May the peace and the grace of God be with you.